Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Toby. And I'm Robert Diamant. This is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling harmonious. And I'm feeling harmonious because that's partly a feeling I get when I look at today's guest work, which consists of uh, the most extraordinary paintings. And you and I actually first discovered uh, his work in the South London Gallery. We got a taxi all the way. Where were we? I don't even know why we, what we were doing that day, but we got a really long taxi. We probably did a talk art somewhere. Peckham. Yeah, maybe. And we went to the New Contemporaries show and one of our favourite works along side the film work of Rini Matic was a painting by today's guest and the paintings are dreamlike and they're they're really really kind of otherworldly and you often have this this theme of a figure maybe two figures wandering through nature and there's a kind of ominous tone at times but often an idealized kind of harmony as well which I feel speaks to a lot of kind of queer experience and kind of maybe dreams for a better world or I don't know we we will explore today with our guest Um, and I know that you are really close friends with the guest Russell today and I've also hung out with him a few times in Margate at the gallery which has been a great honour because I love him and I think he's such a kind generous unique artist and he currently has a show which is curated by another friend of ours Andrew Bonacina at Thomas Dane Gallery and it runs until the end of January and I really recommend heading down to Thomas Dane and seeing this exhibition. Um, It's called Now I Know You, I Am Older. And we would like to welcome to Talk Art, Jake Jake Gruel. Gruel. Hi, Jake. Hi. Thanks for the intro. (laughs) No worries. How are you? I'm well. Yeah, I'm good. I was just in the gallery today earlier, actually. Yeah, it was nice. I've been back to see the show two times now. I was there at the opening night and I was there yesterday and I went round again with Thomas Dane, whose gallery it is. And it is an extraordinary show. As Rob said, the title is called Now I Know You, I Am Older. And it's phenomenal, Jake. I mean, how proud do you feel? Or is it a feeling of pride that you have now for your first solo in London? Mm, Yeah, no, I do. (laughs) I was actually asked this question today. I think it's weird. It's a weird kind of feeling when you let work um, go and... It was all quite fast. I let the work go and then we hung the work, um, Andrew and I, and it just looked so incredibly different than in the studio. And then the opening happened and it's always quite fast. It feels, it felt quite fast, but um, I think I'm allowing myself to feel proud now. <laughs> and in what, what way does it feel different from the studio then? So for people listening, you, you live, your, your studio's in Brixton, where I've visited before. You're still there, right? Yeah. Yeah, my studio's in Brixton. Well, my studio is quite small. So the large paintings in the show, I mean, the largest painting is three metres wide. And that's kind of the expanse of one of the walls of the studio. And to paint quite closely for almost a year on one body of work and not really have enough space to kind of stand back and reflect and kind of really kind of take it in and the environment that it will eventually hang, to see it all in the, the gallery is is kind of a completely different experience also in 11 duke street where the show is on there are three kind of rooms which also kind of 
changes the way that the works speak to one another. Obviously in my studio there's just one room and I'm just kind of taking the painting off the wall and putting it to the side and then putting another painting on. Mm. In the gallery you can kind of walk from room to room and look at the paintings and then kind of you can even kind of look through one doorway and see another painting through the corner of your eye and interpret that little glimpse um, to the painting that you also see in front of you and kind of I don't know, that's just an interesting relationship between all the words. Does it make you want a bigger studio then? Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> if you had a bigger studio, would we be looking or would we be seeing a bigger work? Yeah, possibly. It was also, there was also something quite romantic, I guess, about making these expansive canvases in quite a constricted space because of the intensity of the image, I guess. Because... Mm there's like a kind of energy that's captured on the surface, which I'm not sure I would have if I could stand back like metres away and really kind of, yeah. Mm. I heard recently from another artist in Margate, actually, that she she has a similar situation where she can't um, have the, you know, the distance from the painting. So she's often like taken snapshots on her phone and then has to like put them all together to try and see what the final painting might end up, you know, wow. really looking like separately. And it really blew my mind. I was like, and you'd never guess it from looking at her work either, because it's so, um, it's like the, the, the intensity of the mark making and the proximity I think you have when you're in a smaller studio is such a specific thing. And your work definitely has that, that kind of, I don't know, it's like the surface is such an important you know, in a different way to a lot of paintings, it's got this incredible dreamlike haze or something like a. It's a definite haze. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I always kind of um, when making a picture, I always aim to have it so as much about the medium and the map as much as about the kind of like color relationships and the way that it's painted, um, and how that talks to the narrative or the kind of like emotional feeling I have when painting it than just the representation of the scene. There's also this kind of dialogue with drawing and with drawing, it's kind of well, the way I draw, I like kind of use a eraser as well as charcoal. And with an eraser, there's kind of this, you can't, I mean, <laughs> an eraser is only so big. You can't use this kind of like broad stroke like you can a paintbrush. It's a kind of smaller stroke, which has kind of got a mm. kineticism maybe, or a kind of like, a movement that evokes some kind of feeling of atmosphere or... It's frenetic. Yeah, frenetic. Do you find making work emotional? Rob mentioned romance and romanticism in art is something that you are really channeling. But do you find yourself, when you're creating these, because your works are full of story, you're a storyteller through your painting, do you find yourself emotionally invested in, in these figures that you're painting i mean i'm not having like affairs with the figures in my paintings <laughs> um, i don't know i i guess it's me having a kind of reflection on my my lived experience and putting that into paint so i guess in a kind of way i'm kind of emotionally invested because they've come out of me but i'm not i don't think i'm kind of precious or I don't think I'm romanticizing the figures. But what what is romanticism as uh, an art movement? Because that that is something that people talk about a lot. What what does it mean to have a romantic painting or to be referred to as romanticism? In my understanding, it was a kind of movement in acceptance of like individualism and emotion or the emotions of life being kind of put on taken to a higher regard and it was also this kind of acceptance of being quite insignificant in the face of something larger i.e nature so it was kind of spanned across literature music the visual arts it was a kind of rejection of industrialization and a kind of yeah and an acceptance of individualism when we see your paintings, we're seeing the figure in nature. We're seeing the figure in, in woodland, in these landscapes, these forests, these trees. That is kind of like facing, you find that nature is a bigger element than the human humanity in some ways. Exactly. It's kind of, um, well, so Kant wrote about the dynamics of line, 
Who's this? Kant, Immanuel Kant, philosopher. Okay. It was kind of like in the face of something larger than yourself that allows you to kind of reflect on your own humanity, I think, or mortality. So it's kind of like in the face of the, like what's brought to mind is that kind of Caspar David Friedrich painting of Caspar David Friedrich, the Rukin figure. You're looking onto a figure from behind, so you can't really see his face. So it's kind of like an, an mm. idea of a man, even though we know it's Caspar David Friedrich. And he's looking upon the crashing waves, reflecting on his kind of humanity. And so then you're kind of faced to reflect on your, your space within the world as well. When did you start realising that this was your jam? <laughs> were inspired or, or or drawn towards this when you put in the figure within a natural environment and also the figure that we see are, are quite androgynous especially the later paintings they feel adolescent but yet they also feel timeless but within this natural environment when did these because if you I mean you can go back on your paintings over the last few years and and nature and, and plants and like botanicals and and the human figure which all resemble you in some ways I think that's my projection onto it when did that start really that um, language of yours really develop well the landscape has always been really crucial I had this kind of affinity when I was at school with Turner and I think that's probably where my interest in kind of like the idea of the sublime and going out into nature to kind of capture whatever I'm seeing came in to it and then I guess at the drawing school or just before the drawing school I kind of felt in a bit of a dead end so I decided to kind of I mean it's so cliche I was like I'm gonna have to paint from my heart and from my lived experience because otherwise I would just get bored <laughs> and I'll just keep finding myself getting um caught in these kind of like dead ends of making work and I just kind of had to paint what I found true I don't, I don't know it's really quite abstract isn't it <laughs> bringing but bringing those together then so bringing bringing the landscape in which has always been something you've been doing and then realizing that the interest in the image is yourself you're interested in exploring who you are, your identity, and your lived experience, as you mentioned. So they're very autobiographical, then, these works. Yeah, they. Yeah, I mean, they are autobiographical, but I also aspire for them to kind of be open. So a lot of the figures are kind of abstracted, there are faces hidden, they're kind of in motion. I mean, they're not representations of, like, a real space or a real time. I, th I think they're kind of more, um, I think they're more universal than that. You know, in the introduction, I was going to say that I was feeling like a wanderer. And then I thought, no, because I looked up the definition of the wanderer. And it seems like that's more someone that might, you know, not, uh, not have a fixed location as such. And they sort of, you know, might travel around the world and um, constantly be in motion. Because I sort of, I, I felt like that's obviously a theme in your work. But I think what, what what's different in, in your work is that there does seem to be a purpose somehow, like a like some sort of strong narrative that's happening even though you you I don't totally know what it is like this is just my projection into it so I don't know if they I, I feel like maybe they've got more more of a fixed location than than just being wandering around do you know what I mean like like the world is, is there a kind of like specific place in your mind I just yeah I wanted it to be unmoored by kind of location I wanted the work to be unmoored by location or kind of by um time the way I paint is I you know I like walk around with my sketchbook or my camera or whatever I have and I just take pictures or kind of draw things I might find interesting for paintings so it's a combination of information that I gather but also I look through magazines and kind of old books there's a really good bookshop next to my studio in Brixton and they have these kind of like National Geographics or kind of like books on English landscape. And it's accumulation of drawings I've done, photographs I've taken and found imagery, basically. So I might see a photograph in a magazine and then I change the colour palette in reference to a landscape maybe I've painted in Italy or kind of like in Derbyshire or you know, somewhere completely different. So I'm taking real observation and 
um, combining that with found imagery. And this color palette you're talking about is very unique to you as well. I mean, people who haven't come across your work when they're listening to this and they look at it, this color palette is very subdued and there's lots of greens and browns and very earthy tones, again, that relate to nature and woodland, but then carry this kind of haze, this this like dappled light that you get if you're walking through the forest at, you know, at dusk. That's what it comes across to me. So, and th- th- these this color palette, when did that also come into, you know, I guess it's all a process of working yeah. out your own language, but it feels like you're really firing on all cylinders. You, from all different directions, you, you've solidified such a unique quality to your work. Thanks. <laughs> I think <laughs> it honestly comes from a lot of looking and a lot of, just a lot of observation and being out in the environments that I, I aim to like portray so it's a lot of kind of like being on Hampstead Heath like just before the sun goes down and trying to like capture the light Mm -hmm. and I was on a a residency in Italy and I was literally out there with my (laughs) canvas and my uh, easel painting in the dark (laughs) trying to paint the night like it's ridiculous really yeah yeah um which is similar to kind of people that I admire like Coro or like just the Impressionists in general like they were all kind of out with that kind of newly designed tubes of paint traveling around and just trying to capture what they see or get the impression of what they were trying to do trying to show it's interesting as well as a as a contemporary artist that you are referring to these art historical figures like Cora you just mentioned and people will look at your work and they might see the way Degas painted people the positioning and and the posing of of the characters that appear why do you think that you've gone that far back in art history and you've been inspired by that and not by current artists for example i guess in order to find what i'm interested in it provides an openness doesn't it you're like one step away from Mm. it so it offers a kind of kind of like a helping hand for you to digest what you might be internally kind of wanting to get out and then there's an openness so that you can then make it your own in a way. And and they feel they feel timeless. I and mean, there's no sort of pop culture references. You know, your characters are never walking along with an iPhone. They're stripped of fashion. They're stripped of any real environment that we can recognize, like signposting for, you know, this is Paris or this is, you know, they're they're in they're they're open to full projection from an audience, a narrative into them which is what I'm really drawn to, that energy of, and that permission to stare and that permission to write your own story into them. I mean, that's really nice. I think a good, I think a good work of art should allow the viewer space for reflection and I think it should have a kind of like emotional, you should have an emotional response or at least that's how I, that's what I'm drawn to. It's obviously not the only way mm. to look at art. I think there's also something about the the way that you're using uh, the colour palette. And I know in, in the text that was with your show, it talked about p- p- pathetic fallacy, which is often you hear about it in, in plays, you know, for, for dramatic effect. But I, I think there's something quite subconscious on, on a nature level that's within the work that, that kind of will make you feel something. You know, like if you think of sunsets, you know, there was one in particular that really reminded me of walking in Margate, but but there's there's something that nature can speak to you w- without you even consciously realising, if that makes sense. Or a metaphor in some ways. I mean, does it stand in for something? Is is a tree always a tree or is a tree a human emotion, a human experience? If you're saying that this is your lived experience as well that you're putting into these paintings, in some ways they're coded, I guess. We're not seeing the full gamut of what, you're telling us it is coding in there yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean it's not as referential as this tree means this because like that happened to me there's just a more general ambiguity to it like i mean the thing about the time of day and the pathetic fallacy so rob the the painting that you're talking about now is actually the show's title now i know you are in order that was initially going to be a very dark painting. So this is kind of like how I work. I paint, there's another small painting in the show that's kind of like a small landscape with 
four kind of ghostly trees. Those were, well, that, that was a preliminary painting for this larger, completely different, very yellow painting of two figures walking uh, one in front of the other. Um, the four trees were going to be, well, kind of maybe are a symbol of kind of time moving forward. And then I didn't realise, but there was a monk show on at the courtyard and I just kind of walked across it. And then there was Monk and he was using the same kind of device as me, these kind of trees kind of slashing the canvas vertically. But then I decided that actually the figures shouldn't, didn't need to be walking through these trees and the trees didn't necessarily they didn't necessarily need the trees acting as this kind of visual communication of time moving forward. Just the act of two figures walking in front of another communicates this passage of time. And I felt that the tree, I don't know, I felt that the trees were too claustrophobic. So I opened, opened it up and the painting is completely different. But that's just kind of like an insight into the way that I make paintings. And it doesn't necessarily make any sense to anyone else but me. <laughs> Yeah. Is it is it hard for you painting? I mean, obviously drawing comes naturally and you, you, you're an artist, but is it finding these images and working them out and then allowing them out into the world? Is that a struggle for you? Not really. <laughs> I think the making of images is interesting. There's a lot of back and forth as you might now know. There's a lot of kind of painting something, seeing if it works. If it doesn't work, throwing it in the bin, um, going back to the drawing. If the drawing doesn't work, go back to the painting, make a larger drawing, make a larger painting, maybe take a figure out. There's a lot of backwards and forth to and fro. And then by the time it actually leaves the studio, I'm quite happy to sort of throw it to be gone <laughs> because the act of oh, it has been so physical. It's been such a kind of like journey. And mm. I, I've been very happy to show in the places I've shown so far. So there's no reason for me to be resentful of the work leaving. Do you ever feel like you want to get it back in the studio? Like you've seen everything up on the in the exhibition space now in the gallery. Do you ever see paintings and drawings and think, uh oh, no, 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 that can't go in. I need to bring that out. No, I wouldn't let anything out that I didn't I didn't like that of. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think That's it's good. <laughs> so well, I, I want to go back to um I want to go back to the new contemporaries then. So this is the South London Gallery where we first discovered your work. And <laughs> there was a painting there called the Familiar Whisper of a path now silent and mm. as you walked in it was um it was what was it three by two meter painting and it's a character in in a tree nook and facing the audience what was that like to be part of new contemporaries and it really felt like you know I discovered it through Instagram because everybody was posting that painting and <laughs> everybody was commenting on it and I was like wow I really this is good work and that that drew us down there especially to see Rini's film but to see your painting what was that experience like being part of that exhibition it was quite an amazing experience actually like I I'd always I applied to new contemporaries like three times or something kind of wishing that one day I might be part of new contemporaries I just thought it was such a cool not cool. I just thought it was a great opportunity to be part of a cohort. And I think it felt like a good context for the work to be seen in, basically. And the painting was hung in the middle of the room and people could walk mm-hmm. around it. So for the back of the painting, I kind of had put this drawing of um, a plant. Um, I don't know what the actual name of the plant is, but the kind of slang it's called like honesty and there's kind of seeds in it and it's a dry plant and I also put some kind of branch some branches and a small poem but this poem was so tiny and it was also transparent and you couldn't really read it unless you were really going up close Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that was yeah a very deep it was a very personal work actually it was kind of referring to the landscape near my grandma's house and I remember talking to my mum because my grandma lived in Wales and there are these incredible rivers that run through her village and the paths are quite, um, they're quite hard, they're quite difficult to walk down, especially if you're like 87. (laughs) Um, And I just felt, I just found it really quite sad that you move somewhere for its natural beauty and there are kind of these paths that 
you once enjoy, but then physically at some point you can't actually go down them anymore. Mm. And I wondered if she ever met, she missed them. So yeah, but yeah, new contemporaries were really great. I was there with my, I was in it with my friend Sophie Rugrock, who had a show at um, Sunday Painter last year, and we both went to the drawing school. So it felt like a really good kind of moment and a really nice kind of accumulation of a year and a half's hard work at the drawing school. It was also in 2020, which oh yeah, it was. Yeah, or I think it was 2021. It was it was 20 it was new contemporaries 2020, but I think it opened in 2021. Because of all the lockdowns and everything. Yeah, that's right. It we got delayed, masked. didn't it? Yeah, so we'd had this kind of like hard year of lockdowns and um, drama. <laughs> and I don't know, this kind of like pivotal year, it felt like for quite a lot of people. So it was really nice to come out of that with this new lease of life. Um, it's really interesting, the Royal Drawing School as well, because obviously charcoal uh, appears a lot in your work and drawing, as you said before, is so important. But there has been a number of artists coming through from the Royal Drawing School. I think maybe even Caroline Wong, a friend of mine, I think she... Um, originally studied there as well. Samaya Critchlow, who's your good yeah, friend a whole of jokes. Cool gang of people. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com But what, yeah. what, what was that like? Because I think, in a way, Royal, Royal Drawing School was always seen as really traditional, wasn't it? Yeah, but I really love, I've always loved that about it. It's extremely traditional. <laughs> Yeah, it's extremely traditional. There's a lot, I mean, there's just a lot of observational drawing. You draw observationally at least three times a week from the life model, or you go outside and draw from observation. There's nothing quite like it. It taught, well, I kind of knew it already, but it solidified this idea of looking to something outside of yourself to maybe bring you back inside of yourself, learning through practical the practical learning doing. through doing exactly so you get less yeah, stuck yeah, yeah. on your own ideas and just kind of churning it out and at the same time you'll find honing you'll find tuning your draftsmanship so you're actually you're literally becoming a better drawer whilst you have this time for reflection i mean that's great but you you were mentioning cohorts just now and you said your friend sophie was in the self london gallery new contemporary show with you when i went to your opening the other night which i was lucky to be at uh your friend Samaya Critchlow who just mentioned who you knew from uh you've met at the Royal Drawing School and then Michaela Yearwood Dan was there and there's lots of um artists you feel like you're part of a moment really and and all of you are very unique in your style and your take on the world and your language but you're also connected to each other and it feels very to me very New York it feels like in New York that artists move around in groups and they, they come up in movements and they connect with each other. But I've always found that in the United Kingdom or, or Great Britain is that artists have sort of had a solitary experience going through and they, they, their studio practice has been far away from other people. But you feel like a, a new generation of British-based artists who are cohorts, who are supporting each other, who are connected to each other do you, do you feel that and is that something that you appreciate or you just take for granted I've always been really lucky I mean I've, I know Samaya and Makeda from uh from a from age so from university yeah I mean it's it's nice but being in the studio is so solitary that I think sometimes you forget that there are other people doing a similar thing <laughs> and then obviously you meet right. as friends not necessarily as artists and we and everyone is doing their own thing and kind of they have that everyone has their own individual voice so you're right there does there feels to be in London at the moment a lot of 
quote-unquote young artists starting their careers and that's very exciting Mm -hmm. and it feels like a good time to be making work in London. And and this for you is the first show you've had in London but you had a show that was on last year at uh, Javeri Gallery in Mumbai which is an amazing space and 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 hello Priya and Amrita who (laughs) run that space who are heaven I'm obsessed with them I think they're just absolutely phenomenal and you had an exhibition there called Shifting Waters and this was works on paper again and paintings but this show was hung over Skype or Zoom and you never got to see it so you never like this experience you were saying at Thomas Dane where you're suddenly seeing oh I had that in the studio and now I can see it on the gallery wall you was only able to see it digitally online what was that experience like having an exhibition like a solo exhibition in another country not being able to see it in person it wasn't solo so it was a two-person exhibition with um oh yes of course sorry 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 yes it was the photographer Lionel Wendt who was in the Surrealism Beyond Water show at the Tate I think it came from America this is an incredible Sri Lankan photographer who's also just in the Michael Warner show interior which I'm also in in London at the moment yeah it was bizarre (laughs) I don't know how to explain it it was a bizarre experience I mean that felt quite different to um it felt like was it frustrating did you feel like you wanted to be there or I mean obviously I would have loved to be there it wasn't frustrating I guess the thing with having an exhibition is that there's a show, there's there's a private view, and then there's like dinner, and that's quite a nice ceremonial kind of benchmark for that period of time. And then you can kind of meet people and go in and out to the show as you wish and just kind of say goodbye a bit. Um, there was no kind of like saying goodbye to the work. Obviously, I've got people communicating with me on online saying, oh, congratulations, and the show was reviewed and it was great but I didn't really mind so much because I knew that this show was coming up at Thomas Dane and it kind of felt like the last year kind of felt like a continual kind of stream of time there wasn't really any breakup yeah I didn't really have an emotional response to not going other than it would have been nice to go to the gallery and say hi to Priya and obviously to see the work and we would like meet the people who were interested in the show in Mumbai Mm. what's it what's it like for you now working with Galleris you know like now you're working with Thomas Dane has that uh been an enjoyable experience for you like I mean I my, my experience of Thomas for example is I think he's he's such a genuinely wonderful person and I can imagine working with him is really transparent and you probably have really great conversations and you would know that he really cares yeah. um and he has a real integrity, you know, historically, because he's been around for a, a number of decades and he's he's a great guy. But like as a young artist, what does it feel like, you know, working with a, a gallery on that scale? Quite, quite. I mean, they're big shoes to fill, aren't they? People like Herbert Anderson, Cecily Brown, Steve McQueen. It's like a challenge. I mean, yeah, working with Thomas is just really, I mean, everyone at the gallery is so caring and kind and there's a real emphasis on exhibition making and thinking about the work that's being shown in a kind of critical way which I really resonate with and that kind of be the primal focus I mean all the things you said were true what do you mean all the things you said were true like what, what did no, you all say? the things rob said was true like he's very transparent and, oh sorry rob said was yeah. all the things that he, some secrets that thomas dane was imparting yeah, no, to you that all secrets. came true um i'd love to also talk about you know you were talking about the poem that was at the back of the uh, painting in the new contemporaries poetry feels important to you we don't see text within the work but the titling is really again something unique to you and there is this doubling of or tripling of titles that go through your practice, things like histories slash if I knew where I could stand, or hunted hunted sunset slash a conversation of sorts, or clung biology slash turn to heal from behind. (laughs) So it gives you all of these different ways of reading the work. And I've sort of, I think I've worked out the code that if there's one figure, it's one title. If there's two figures, there's two titles. If there's three figures, there's three titles. <laughs> so you're given each of these figures agency and their own experience within 
a bigger experience. Like a, they're all having a unique experience within a shared experience. Is that a right way of looking at it? Yeah, I think that was, yeah, that was the initial thinking. Yeah, I mean, you've kind of hit nail on the head. You've cracked the code. But <laughs> Cobra, Enigma. But why and how? And it, it is yeah. so successful, but it is, again, coding and it is making you slow down and work out what it is. It came from when I was writing poetry and when, like, I don't really, I'm not a trained poet. I don't know how to write poetry. So when I was writing poetry, it was more, I mean, it was more arranging words on the page <laughs> to kind of uh, communicate mm-hmm. how it should be read. So maybe I write a state a sentence and then underneath there's one word and then in like a diagonal there's another word and then there's a sentence underneath those two. So it's kind of leading the eye to a way of reading so yeah, it kind of came out of that. I mean, the way I write, I journal most mornings and it's kind of like just this kind of expression of whatever, um, dreams, mm-hmm. experience, whatever I want to say. And I also kind of write on my phone on the notes app and it's just kind of whatever I'm thinking. Um, so when it comes to titling, I have this kind of plethora of information that I can draw off of and when I try to kind of think about the work and think about maybe where I was in my life when I was making the work whether that place is true anymore whether I've moved on where I am now and all the titles are kind of a communication of that but yeah I like this kind of idea of two I mean I've only ever done one work for three figures (laughs) it's mostly two and I like the idea of kind of various points of view or experiences, ways of looking at something. I think it's interesting. And, and, so- and you look at things, you, you describe looking at things through the queer gaze, through a queer gaze. Mm. What exactly is that for people listening? If you're, if you're making work from the position of the queer gaze. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I guess for me... When I said that, it was a ambiguity. So looking at things with an ambiguity and a kind of openness. And it was kind of in reference to maybe not taking something for as it is, but maybe like, say, for instance, kind of what you were saying earlier about like a tree being a person or an example of an experience, kind of looking at something in like a kind of queer way. And I obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but. I mean, I identify as queer, so there's also that kind of parallel. So it's kind of a way of looking at something and also quite literally, like, I am queer. Got it. And and, and do you find it's an intimate way of working and, and a more honest way of working because it is highly personal? More intimate and more honest, yeah. I mean, I find the work I make now is far more honest than the work I made five years ago and it is more intimate there's an element of how much do you want to reveal how much are you going to put out there which i'm sure everyone deals with yeah totally and and this this androgyny which runs through the work as well when we see these figures uh and they have hazing around the genital area so you can't really see you know gender is that was that a conscious decision because i've looked at older works and you can sort of make outlines of genitals for example but in in the later works now we're looking at there is a real real androgyny and there's a real non-binary energy that's going through through the characters when did that sort of start developing as as a as a theme um it just wasn't what like genitals well it just wasn't really what the work was about i remember having a tutorial at the drawing school mm-hmm. and so a tutor kind of told me to make the penis is larger and I did and then I decided not to again <laughs> because for me the work is about a kind of emotional landscape and a kind of atmosphere it's not about I mean if I wanted if I wanted to make work about a sexual experience I'm sure the penises will be there mm-hmm. but th- th- at the moment it's kind of like about internal it's about an internal kind of journey or reflection it's not about sex you you know that you said you you keep notebooks and that you write a lot in the morning do you ever keep a dream diary 
do you, do you ever remember your dreams? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I do. I remember my dreams often. I read this book called The, the Artist's Way. It's quite a woo, um, <laughs> a woo book. But that encourages you to kind of do uh, daily pages. And um, that really helped me remember my dreams. As an art fan as well, you you obviously look at the old masters. Do you have a favourite gallery where you go to? I've seen lots of images on Instagram where you've been life drawing inside museums and yes. institutions. Do you have like reliable works of art you go and stand in front of and, and institutions that you are regularly seen at? Yeah, so I go to the National Gallery all the time. That's all the time cool. being what, like once a week or something as regularly as that? Yeah, maybe once a week, twice a month. Um, wow. Not when I have a show coming up, but when I have free time. Like as soon as the show came up, I mm-hmm. went to the National Gallery, I went to the Tate, um, I went to the Courthold, I kind of did the rounds and just revisited everyone that I'd kind of missed. Um I really love the Turner Rooms and the Tate. I really love the National Gallery. And I really love the Impressionist Room in the Courthold. I don't think... I mean, that trio is pretty great. Yeah, in some ways, these have been constant with you, like old friends that you can go back and say hello to and then go off and come back and see again. Yeah, I mean, especially the Turner Rooms and the Tate. I remember going when I was a lot younger. And it's funny, I was always kind of drawn to the uh, interior of the... That painting, I can't remember the full title. It's interior of some kind of stately home. It's golden and it's got this kind of white orb, which I guess is the window. And I was always drawn to that. And then, I don't know, I went recently and I wasn't so drawn to it anymore. And I was kind of drawn to something else, which was a bit more impressionistic and felt more like abstract paint on top of a canvas to depict what he was showing. That. And then I went back to the interior painting and it felt more descriptive and less abstract. So it's funny returning to places, institutions where maybe the hang hasn't changed for a while and then you kind of see new things in the paintings each time. I love that. Well, that's what art does. It just keeps revealing itself to you and you peripheral works suddenly come into focus and you think, why have I never noticed this before? Why have I just ignored this? And it's been there the whole time. And I think it's obviously as you age and you we develop and emotionally we go through more and then you're able to connect to different works of art. And that's, that's the magic of art, isn't it? Yeah. I and mean, you hear stories of people, of artists who go through the national, like go through the national gallery year on year on year and each time they kind of gravitate towards something else but then they um return to that old favorites <laughs> like my old favorite in the national gallery is probably a couple but um i really like Cora's time of day and three peasants and also there's a really good soroya which i remember when that came and i was so excited with my flatmate and we were just kind of looking at this <laughs> soroya it was incredible and it was only like last year. And What's they, yeah. Who's Soroya? He's a um, Spanish painter, famously Spanish painter of light. Uh, he had a show like a couple of years ago. I can't remember whether it was pre-pandemic or post in the National Gallery. And the way he paints, like the way he paints light is just incredible. Um, the colours, there is a lot of beach scenes and a lot, a lot of... Um, nude adolescence swimming and yeah just really lush brush strokes which on a really magnificent grand scale all the brush strokes are really purposeful and direct and just a really good painter oh, that's a good tip well listen before we get into our final questions i just want to ask you about um your studio practice and the materiality and i think people were looking at the tones you're using and the color palette and would be really intrigued into what paint brands you go for who, who you like using and what sort of paint brushes and also there's something which we spoke about briefly but when people look at the drawings there's a word that appears uh, alongside the charcoal which is conte c-o-n-t-e with an accent pointing up to the right on it what is that and yeah can you talk a bit more about the materials that you use um well conte is a kind of old drawing tool i don't really know what it's made out of to be honest maybe like even Leonardo people used one day or it comes in different colors there's like sanguine and black and you can get it in a variety of depths like hardness kind of like pencil but I'm actually not quite sure what it's made out of sorry 
I think it's compressed powdered graphite or charcoal mixed with a clay base. Yeah, I mean, that sounds right. That's how it feels. And it says black, black, red and brown are often key colours. Yeah, the red is, I think, sanguine or and it kind of feels mm. like clay or something. So I use that in tandem with charcoal and it's nice because you can just get a variety of um, mark making. It can smudge, you can get a kind of point, you can get a kind of uh, variety of depth. It holds. So when I kind of draw, as I said, like I use an eraser and the Conte or the charcoal or the specific charcoal I use tends to leave a residue of marks. So what you what you've seen, well, what you've done can be seen once if it's been erased. So there's kind of this idea of a history in the work, and that's kind of similar to how I paint. When I paint, I kind of leave an idea of what's come before. So the layers are not completely hidden, but you can see the chronology of decision making, I guess, which I guess allows this kind of like layered, hazy idea to come through. I use old Holland paints, which are very pigmented and they're just like pure pigment. So you have to use a kind of medium. I tend to just use white spirit, to be honest. And then as the layers keep building up, I use Cecily Brown, I think does this. And she has this these kind of jars and it's like half and half white spirit, oil paint, uh, one third white, like oil, two thirds white spirit. And I try and do that, but I'm not, I'm not as um, organized <laughs> as that, but I, I guess. It's quite scientific. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite scientific, but I, I often think just don't, I think there's this kind of mystique around oil paint. And I tend to think that actually oil paint nowadays is quite well made and I've never had experience with oil paint graphing. So um, just as long as you remember to kind of put more oil on top of a thinner layer, then it should be fine. Um, but yeah, Old Holland and... So most oil paint cracks, that's that's the thing that artists are scared of, is that when the painting's finished, it's going to crack if you don't have enough medium in it. Yeah, I think. So if you if you put a thin layer of oil paint on top of a thick layer of oil paint, then the thin layer cracks because there's not enough oil. Got it. All right. Well, let's get on to our final questions, Rob. So we ask every guest two questions. The first is, if you could do an imaginary art heist anywhere in the world, and it could be large or tiny, we can help you uh, with vans or whatever you may need, a crane um, and so on. And actually, your your label mate at uh, Thomas Dane, Anthea yeah. Hamilton, I think she actually wanted to have a whole skyline or something, if I remember correctly. Wow. So that would have been a very big job for us yeah um like a new york skyline it was something like that it was quite eccentric i loved it <laughs> but yeah what what would you like to do as your art heist Jake? it's so difficult no it's a really hard question well you have to answer it i'm afraid yeah you have to. <laughs> it's part of the deal oh, yeah. <laughs> <It's> a contract <laughs> oh my god maybe i want to say something more obvious that i always look at like three peasants the three peasants painting at the National Gallery, but I think I might have to say one of Whistler's Nocturnes. I think what's a, what's a Whistler? Obviously, Whistler the painter. But what's what's the Nocturnes? So he did these series of Nocturnes of um. So it's night painting of the Thames, and it's kind of almost monochromatic, and there's really large kind of bridge with a tiny little figure. And the figures kind of reflected in the water. Mm. That is so. Well, I can um, see that influence in your work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reflection. That or L'Orangerie in Paris, all of the Monet Waterloo paintings. I'm going to get you them. I thought one that you refer to and you go back to again and again and again to save you making the trip, the first one you said might be the peasants, might be kind of good just to have there because you can just turn around and be like, okay, there it is, right, great reference, thank you. Yeah, you keep getting on the bus. <laughs> the reason town. I hesitate is because it, it has like such um, an affinity to my work, and I feel like I've, I've looked at it so often that it's maybe too close now, and I think I might move on. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure. It, it has like such a kind of space and time in my life, and I just don't, I don't know whether it will continue to be that yet. But I know the Whistler Nocturnes mm. 
I've kind of loved since I was a teenager. So, and it's also open and like you can project onto it, whereas there's more of an narrative going on in the Dagar. Right, we we get you it all anyway. We just get a truck down there and pick it all up. <laughs> so, what is your what is your favorite color and why? Yellow, I think. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. And you use that quite sparingly in your work, I guess, like I, sunsets I or reflections. It, yeah. or... I think if I was to have a room, I'd paint it yellow. Like if I was to have like a room in a house to do whatever I wanted, I would paint it yellow. And what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art and your art career thus far? My foundation tutor told me that talent can only get you so far. And like talent is nothing without hard work. And I think he was annoying you right. A lot of it is um, what you put in, isn't it? Even if you're kind of good at what you do, it's kind of the amount of time you dedicate to your practice or to what like where you want to be and what you want to what you want to do so yeah just hard work i guess you were like no no that doesn't work for me no it's gonna be fine for me It'd just be talent i just that's <laughs> what i need to do no, it's the hard work well this this has been amazing so your exhibition at thomas dane now i know you i'm older is running into yeah i think yeah. it's the end of january like and are yeah. you working towards something else now i'm sure it's all top secret but do you have like the calendar in front of you for the next year does it look fruitful um, I've got no plans to do anything. <laughs> um, Does that feel good? Yeah, no, it feels really good. I'm actually not bothered by that at all. I'm very, I'm pleased to have done, to put on the show. I'm really happy with it. And yeah, I just want to have some time to enjoy it and move on. Well, for everyone listening, you can go to thomasdanegallery.com and uh, you can get all the details there for Jake Gruel, Now I Know You, I Am Older. And it runs until the 28th of January, 2023. You can also follow Jake on Instagram at Jake Gruel, just his name, J-A-K-E-G-R-E-W-A-L. And you can also finally go to jakegruel.com. Well, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. And thank you very much, Jake. And we'll see you all very soon. Thanks for listening. We'll be back very soon. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for having me. Hope to see you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode. With music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.